So as I said, we're beginning a new series, uh, Building Up. Uh, we've looked at Job, we've looked at Jeremiah, we've looked at Lamentations. In Lamentations, we started to at least get a sense that there was some hope there that despite the fact that God's people had broken the covenant, a covenant, an agreement between two parties, it's like shaking hands, God had kept up his part, the people hadn't kept up theirs. But we saw in the book of Lamentations that there was hope that God might remain faithful despite the people's unfaithfulness. And so today is entitled The Start of Restoration and we're looking at the prophet Haggai and his ministry. And I think when we think about the fact or thinking about restoration and renewal and God building up his people, I think we can learn much from the prophet Haggai. Because I think in our times, we're living in times which are ever increasingly secular and we might feel like we're in exile. We might feel as though we're longing for God to build up the church. We're longing for restoration. Well, these might be good words for us to hear. It might be interesting to hear how Haggai goes about encouraging and enabling God's people to be built up. One of the problems we may have, or certainly I have, and again, I think Haggai may assist us, is when I approach ministry and even life, I have noticed something about myself. I am impatient. So when I think about restoration, when I think about building, I have a picture of what I want and I'd like that picture to come to fruition much faster than sometimes is possible. Or even, it's not according to God's timing. And again, I think Haggai assists us in this. I am still, um, in terms of being new, taken with the vision and mission of this church. That we are to be a community of transformation. I believe God wants to build this community up. I believe God wants to build this people up. That we might indeed be a community of transformation. So let's listen to what Haggai has to say. I think one of the ways Haggai assists in the building up... Well, actually, let me first situate where Haggai is, so in case you don't know. So in the big story, you've got creation. You've got Abraham, and God makes a promise that he's going to, um, well, firstly, through creating a people and choosing a people, he's going to bring blessing to all nations. He makes that promise to Abraham. We then see Moses bring the people out of Egypt after they've been enslaved. We see David become a king, and then we hear the stories of the kings of Israel and Judah. And there's a division of the kingdom, a northern kingdom and a southern kingdom. The northern kingdom is uh, defeated and um, destroyed by the Assyrians who are the power at the time. Uh, the southern kingdom continues to go for a little bit, but eventually they too are defeated by the power of the time, the Babylonians, and they are taken into exile. And that's where you see that dip. But then the Persians come into power and under King Cyrus, God's people are allowed to return to their homeland. And that's where the um, line goes back up. 
and it's in that part that we hear the prophet Haggai. Um, a contemporary of Haggai would be Zechariah. Both of them are preaching at the same time. And um, you can read about um, them a little bit in uh, the book of Ezra, which Andrew will start preaching about next week. And so that's where Haggai comes in. And so I believe he assists in the building up. So God's people have come back to their homeland and God wants to build them up. And one of the ways Haggai assists in the building up of God's people is by persuading the people to rebuild the temple. And so in chapter 1 of Haggai, which we didn't have, um, Haggai's saying, you guys are living in your panelled houses. You've, lived, you've built up your houses, but God's house remains in ruins. So he's getting them to refocus on building up the temple. But what is the significance of the temple? Well, in 1 Kings chapter 8, verses 11 and 13, Solomon has built the temple. King David wanted to build a temple for God, but God said, not you, but your son. And so Solomon builds a temple. And, and after the ark is brought into the temple, into the Holy of Holies, something happens. And this is what happens, and we read about it in 1 Kings 8, 11 and 13. And the priests could not perform their service because of the cloud, for the glory of the Lord filled his temple. That is, God made his presence manifest. It was visible, it could be seen. There was this cloud, and the priests couldn't even perform their duties. Then Solomon said, I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. The significance of the temple is about the glory of God's presence. The glory of God's presence. God had promised that he will dwell among his people and he was using the temple as a means through which worship would be focused and his presence would be particularly known. And so the significance of the temple is the glory of God's presence. So if you can understand the temple being destroyed the people being sent into exile, they come back and the temple is still destroyed. Haggai's first move in building up this people is to get them to build the temple. It's the place of God's presence. And the way Haggai persuades them is he first acknowledges the discouragement. Secondly, he declares encouragement. And thirdly, he promises a glorious fulfilment. He acknowledges the discouragement, declares encouragement, and promises a glorious fulfilment. How does he acknowledge a discouragement? Well, in chapter 2, verse 3, which we heard read, Haggai is speaking to Zerubbabel. He's the governor appointed, and he is a descendant of King David. So he's in the royal line. And so he's talking to Zerubbabel, and he's talking to Joshua, the high priest. You can see how these two people will have a significant role in helping build up God's people. And he's also talking to the remnant, the people that have come back. And he says to them, Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? Now, it's been 70 years of exile. So the people that saw it were very young. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Doesn't not seem to you like nothing? They're looking at ruins. Doesn't it look like nothing compared to the former glory? It's quite discouraging. 
I know there are many Christians in our nation that at times feel discouraged. I know there are dwindling numbers in churches which feel discouraged. And I think we need a prophet like Haggai to build up God's people. And the first thing he does is just acknowledge the discouragement one might feel. Some of you, if I may speak so boldly, may remember days when St Mark's may have been more full than it is now. Or it was doing more than it seems to be doing now. The words that follow from Haggai may be of great encouragement to us because God wants to build his church up. So he acknowledges their discouragement, but then he declares encouragement. He says, be strong. He actually says it three times. He says it to Zerubbabel, he says it to Joshua, and he says it to the people now in the land. He says, be strong. It's almost reminiscent of what God said to Joshua, not the Joshua here, but Joshua, the successor of Moses. After Moses died, Joshua had to take the people into the promised land. And God said, be strong and courageous. And here again, we hear these words, be strong declares the Lord, and work. Why? For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when I came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you, do not fear. How interesting he would mention the covenant because one might think that that's a good reason for God to say I've abandoned you because you abandoned, you broke the covenant. It was an agreement and you broke it. But what God seems to be focusing on is his handshake. He's saying, I remain faithful to the covenant I made with you despite the fact that you have been faithless. What great encouragement for all of us who are broken, for all of us who don't love the Lord our God with all our heart, with all our soul, with all our mind and with all our strength, that God does not forsake us. God is with us, he's for us and he wants to build us up. What great news. I don't think it's like you've never heard something like that before, but the difficulty is the implications of that. That's that's often where it is. I don't think I'm saying anything new. If I say to you, God is here, God is with you, God loves you and he's for you. The implications of whether we can live as though that's true. Whether I live as though that's true. That God is with me. Next week, as I look at um, exploring the future of youth ministry, will I do so recognising God is with me, God is with St Mark's, God is for us? Or will I or will we be anxious? God is asking us to work and he's telling us he's with us. There's great encouragement in that. Do not fear. And thirdly, he promises a glorious fulfilment. In Haggai 2.9, he says, The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. And peace 
it, it's not as we think of it, peace. If two nations aren't fighting, there's peace. Or if there's no conflict, there's peace. The Hebrew word shalom, peace, is so much richer. It's shalom is um, blessing. It's, it's things are made right, a whole health. God's shalom, so much richer. It's not just a lack of conflict. It's wholeness. It's rightness. So every time you think of sharing the peace with one another, that's what you're sharing, the shalom of God. May there be wholeness. May things be right. And God has promised that in this place, in the temple, he will grant peace. I don't usually do this, but um, I will. Um, I'm going to look at the NASB. It's a different translation. And just read that verse again. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. I think it translates it just a little bit clearer. The latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. What does Haggai mean? That the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. Now, I just might want to suggest to you that the people that are being called to build this temple will not see the fulfilment of what Haggai promises. And this is the challenge we face in our times. I see a world encouraging and forming generations to come to seek instant gratification. That I will work for that which will satisfy me now. I won't work for something, I won't invest in something that's for the benefit of the generations to come. I want to experience the benefit right now myself. And so there is great challenge when God calls us to invest in things to which we may not see the fulfilment of. In the book of Hebrews, it lists all these great saints and it talks about them not receiving the promise. They died before receiving the promises because they were looking for a new land. They considered themselves strangers and foreigners and therefore God was not ashamed and he was building them a city. That is living by faith, much harder to do. And so Haggai encourages these people to build and he tells them and gives them this great promise, the latter glory of this house will be greater than the former. But we are privileged because we are living in a time when we have seen the fulfilment of that. But before I look at that, Let's just consider for a moment, because I've been talking up the temple, let's consider the limits of the temple. So I mentioned before that Solomon said, I have indeed built a magnificent temple for you, a place for you to dwell forever. Solomon later said, in the same chapter, a few verses later, he says in 1 Kings 8, 27, but will God really dwell on earth? The heavens and even the highest heavens cannot contain you, much less this temple I have built. So if the temple is about the glory of God's presence, what we're saying is the temple is inadequate, cannot contain the glory of God. It's inadequate for the glory of God's presence. And so what Haggai is promising, he's saying 
that the latter glory will be greater than the former. He's promising a time when the temple will, will be, the promise of this temple, of this greater glory, will be fulfilled. And I think we see that fulfillment in the Gospels. So the glory of the temple fulfilled in John 2, verse 19. The Jews are asking Jesus why he's doing this and what he's doing and by what authority, show us a sign. And he says to them, destroy this temple and I will raise it again in three days. And of course he's talking about his body. Jesus is now the new meeting place between God and his people. Jesus is the new temple. And in Colossians 1.19, it says something quite interesting in light of the fact that Solomon said, this temple cannot hold you. In Colossians 1.19, it says, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwelling him. The fullness of God's glory dwells in Jesus. So as Jesus stands in the temple, Haggai's prophecy comes true. And so the glory of the temple is fulfilled in Jesus. And yet it doesn't stop there for us. For the glory of the temple is also fulfilled in us. If it's fulfilled in Christ, then we are the body of Christ. And his spirit is with us and in us. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 21 to 22. In him, Jesus, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. God wants to build up this temple, this people. He wants to build it up so that people come in contact with the transforming, glorious, shalom presence of God. I didn't know um, Faye Shearer, but um, I've heard uh, many a story um, this week. And from two separate people, one of the biggest things they talked about was Faye's welcome of people. Uh, one story went that uh, it was the first time that this person had come with their children and one of their children threw up, vomited. And Faye handled that so seamlessly and easily that that person felt welcomed and they said it had it been handled another way they might not have come back and now that person has been a long-term member of this church if new people walk into this church will they experience the transforming presence of God the shalom of God the glory of God in us When we head out of this building, the people experience and encounter the transforming presence, the shalom presence, the glorious presence of God. In all sorts of ways, at times I can preach and talk about God and forget that God's in the room. I can live my life in all sorts of ways and forget that because I have confessed Christ as Lord, God dwells in me. 
There is a power in me that created the universe. In so many different ways, I forget God. We forget God. And the glory of the temple is now fulfilled in us, the church. In various ways, we're either entering into a loving union with God or we're not. God wants to help us. He's for us. There are things in our lives that stop us from actually having loving union. The funniest thing I discovered was that ministry can sometimes get in the way of my loving union with God. God has to sometimes strip away all sorts of things before we will just get back to him, our first love. I'm looking forward to God building up this church. I'm looking forward to the next steps. But don't be impatient. Wait for God's timing. Because if we rush, we'll miss God in the process. I think the implications of this go further than what I can take it. I'm going to pray for us and ask God to help us, to show us what it is that's blocking, what it is that's an obstacle or a hindrance, what it is that distracts us in our day-to-day loving union with him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that by your Holy Spirit, you will convict each of us now and you will convict us as a whole people as well, God. That you will reveal to us those things that are standing in our way of enjoying your shalom, of enjoying your glorious presence, your transforming presence. I pray that you'll expose those things that are a hindrance to us being transformed. And I pray that you'll grant us courage to take the steps we need to move closer to you now and help us to be reminded that you are nearer than we realise. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen.